It's good to be with you guys. We're so blessed, man. We're so blessed. It's just such a joy to be worshiping together with you guys as, as a church family, knowing that we're making a joyful noise to our Lord. I mean, He's worthy of our praise, right? He's totally worthy of our praise. What a treat. We got a lot of ground to cover, and I'm really excited about Ezra 7. Let me ask some questions. This is an open, open note or open book test. Okay? You guys can cheat. And it won't be cheating. I'm giving you permission. How many chapters are in the book of Ezra? How many chapters are in the book of Ezra? Ten. All right, you're one for one. Apparently you had a spokesperson for all of you. Who might you think is the main character other than God in the book of Ezra? Ezra. Yeah, you guys are risking, man. You're crazy. Ten chapters. The main character is Ezra. When or where is Ezra first mentioned in those ten chapters? That is funny. Did you hear that? Chapter 7. That freaked me out. Glenn got a mic and said chapter 7 as if God was speaking himself. Chapter 7. Chapter 7. We're finally introduced to the main character. So I love that the writer of Ezra has this delay, if you will. But what do we know about Ezra? At this point, we're six chapters in. We don't know much about Ezra if we're only being introduced to him now in chapter 7. Turn to Ezra 7. I want to look at one verse. We're going to read Ezra 7 later. But I want to focus on verse 10. This is the key verse in Ezra chapter 7. Verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to three things. Study the law. To practice the law, God's Word. And to teach God's Word. That's Ezra. The writer waits seven chapters to introduce us to Ezra, and all he really says about Ezra is what's listed in verse 10. That he is a man who studies God's Word, he practices God's Word, and he teaches God's Word. So, what then is the focal point of Ezra's ministry? What is it that makes up the character of our main character? God's Word. That's it. That's the focal point of his ministry. It defines who he is. Go to Jeremiah 25. See, Ezra takes place because the people have been uh, uh, exiled out of their hometown of Jerusalem. They've been exiled to Babylonian captivity. And they've been there for 70 years. And there's a reason that they've been there for 70 years. And Jeremiah 25 will tell us as much. It's after Psalms and Proverbs and Isaiah. And then you'll run into Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah 25. Dumb question. When God speaks, do you think it's important? When God speaks, do you think it's important? We're all going to say yes. But so often we live our lives like it's not true. And it grieves my heart when I do that. And I'm sure it grieves your heart when you do that as well. Because we know it grieves the heart of God. When He speaks to us, we know it's important. Look what happened. Why they got the reason they got exiled. Let's read the first eleven verses of Jeremiah twenty-five. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all of God's people, which Jeremiah verse two, the prophet spoke to all of those people from the thirteenth year of Josiah, king of Judah, even to this day. For these twenty-three years, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. God's word is important. And the Lord has sent to you all His servants, the prophets, again 
and again. It's why in our Old Testament scripture we have five major prophets and we have 12 minor prophets. All those people that the Lord has sent. Again and again, verse 4 says, But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. Oh, I hope that's not us. And this is what all his servants and prophets said. Turn now, everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds, and dwell on the land which the Lord has given to you and your forefathers forever and forever. And do not go on after other gods to serve them and to worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. And I will do you no harm. There are consequences when we don't obey a holy God. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. It's like having children. We don't want them to harm themselves. We want them to listen to us as parents because they don't know well enough. And we say, please do this and don't do that because you will harm yourself if you don't listen. God knows what's best for us. Verse 8, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the land. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And so that's exactly what happened. They got shipped off to Babylon, God's people did, and now 70 years is up, as God said they would be, and they start to return back to Jerusalem. The rebuilding of the temple, which we finished last week in Ezra chapter 6. The rebuilding of the temple is not about the temple. And Pastor Doug went into that last week if you were here and he did a brilliant job talking about that. The temple provides the means by which the Word of God can and will be the focal point of how He relates to us. Amen? John 1.14 says as much, and Pastor Doug went over this last week where... John in his gospel says that the Word became flesh. That's how God dwells within us is through His Word. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then Christ ascended and He sent His Holy Spirit. And John 14 says that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. So the Holy Spirit dwells us to teach us all things. And that's how God dwells with us is through His Word and through His Spirit. And so like Ezra back then, God is still using people of character that are immersed in God's Word to expose our sin and to set us back to Himself. He's so faithful that way. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the character of Ezra. We are thankful, Lord, that he has set his heart to study and to obey and to teach Your Word. We cannot live without Your instruction. Lord, You said in Jeremiah that without Your instruction, we will do harm. And so, Lord, help us to be people that will set our hearts to your word and to obey it, to practice it, and to be able to teach it to those around us. It's in your name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. I want to do some review. We did this when we started Ezra. I think we have to kind of recalibrate our minds a little bit because there's sections through Ezra and Nehemiah. So if you remember, there were three returns. So there was three exiles to, to Babylon, and there was also three returns. God is always about restoring, right? And so phase one is Ezra one through six, and that's over. 
And now nearly 60 years has passed, which I'll show you in a second. And that's where uh, chapter 7 starts. 57 years have passed from the end of chapter 6 to chapter 7. And that's phase 2 where Ezra comes back to reinstitute God's word amongst God's people. And then phase 3 is Nehemiah, which we're going to be doing a couple books down the road. We're going to finish Ezra. We're going to go to Ephesians. We're going to come back to Nehemiah. Then we're going to do Philippians. Then we're going to go to Esther, which I'll talk about in a second as well. Okay? So there was three returns. Also, there's four restorations that take place um, in, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So we just finished the restoration of the temple. And now we're talking about the restoration of God's people. God's people need Ezra because he knows God's word. There's no community of God outside of the word of God. Right? And so the community is going to be restored and has to be restored around the word of God. Has to be. And then, of course, the restoration of the city and then the restoration of their covenant with God. And if you remember, I put an outline weeks ago when we started this as well. Here's the outline of the book of Ezra. And so we've kind of got through that first uh, uh, chapters 1 through 6, and now the people are being rededicated in 7 through 10 where we're going to see confession of sin and a cleansing of sin according to God's Word. We can't confess our sin unless we know what's sinful, and God's Word helps us to understand what is sinful so we can confess and say, Lord, I'm not doing it the way you want me to do it. The theme of Ezra is that God used, and this is not surprising to many of us, that God used pagan kings and godly leaders and common people and prophets, anything and everything, to restore His people because we serve a God of restoration. And He reinstituted temple worship and the law of Moses. What a, that's why I just love the weekends. We worship and we focus on the law. That's the whole theme of Ezra. I love getting together on weekends so we can worship and focus our hearts and affections upon God's Word. And then there was a timeline that we went over as well, if you remember this. And so, um, 80 years from 538 is when Cyrus issued the first decree. That's the first return that started in 537. Now we're in 458, 80 years later, that Ezra starts the second return. That's a long time. That's a couple of generations of people. 57 years have passed, as I mentioned already, between the end of Ezra 6 and the start of Ezra 7. 57 years have passed. And if we don't know that, we just kind of keep reading. And what I like about that, church, when we understand, when we study, like Ezra studied, and we understand that 57 years have passed between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7, it just reminds me, right? This is why we study God's Word, that some things the Lord simply does over longer periods of time, doesn't He? The Lord works short time frames and medium time frames and long time frames. And some of you, like me, are probably on that long time frame stuff, where it's like, dear God, please finish this in me. I've been wrestling with things for 30, 40 years, and I walk with Him, and I wonder when it's going to be done. Am I the only one who has those thoughts? Right? It's like, Lord, when? When will this be purged out of my life? So the Lord some, uh, simply does some things over longer, periods of time, uh, over longer periods of time, and it just makes me think and to imagine. Imagine when we know this, when we study His Word, what all the Lord is orchestrating by the day, by the week, by the month, by the year, by the decade, by the centuries. When we study His Word and we know that 57 years have passed from one chapter to the next, and God is still working. And I don't know why and how all those moving parts work. That's His job. But He wants me to understand that He's always at work and to trust Him in that work. Amen? 
And so what do we do in the meantime? We do our part. We do our part in our generation and allow God to do His part. I read a book a, a, a couple months ago. This one part of this... Anyway. And it, it talked about understanding our role. Understanding as, as a believer individually, as a church, we're just a domino. God's got this huge domino picture all painted out that covers years and years and years. And I'm just a domino. And I'm just going to fall on the next domino. And, fall, and that person's going to fall on the next. And our church is a domino that's going to fall on the next domino. And we just, we just keep pushing this whole thing forward. And over the, over the years until the Lord comes back, He's just creating this beautiful picture. And I'm okay with that. I just need to do my part as a little domino in God's grand scheme of things. I love that. And so it makes me ask, can, can you and can I think past today? when it comes to your own walk. Well, God, what are you doing with me? What are you doing with me? And yet we may have influenced somebody or we're about to influence somebody that their domino hits a lot of other stuff. Can we think past today when it comes to your walk, when it comes to our church, the Rock Community Church? There's a church nearby here. Some of you may have heard of it. I know this to be true. That's why I said it that way. Um, Your Belinda Friends. Anybody heard of Yorba Linda Friends? Many of us have a, a, a huge familiarity with a church called Yorba Linda Friends. It's a big church. It's the largest Quaker Friends church in the world. When was it started? Does anybody know? Rob, you probably know. Huh? 1912. 104 years ago, 105 years ago. 1912. None of those people are around anymore. They're doing great ministry. They're doing wonderful things. They didn't know. They just did their part. They allowed themselves to be a domino. We're a 13 and a half year old church. Who knows what's going to happen 100 years from now in this church? We just need to do our part and let God do His part. And so when we understand the stories like Ezra and the 57 years and, 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 and 80 years from the first you know, return to the second return, just do our part that we would be faithful in our part as God does great things around us. And that's why we need to know His Word, to know how He works. I just love that. We're going to read Ezra 7, but I want to put up some takeaways. There's three takeaways. Let's put those up. When we read Ezra 7, this is when I just studied and looked. It's like these things just, after a while, they just jumped off the page. That you're going to see Ezra, because he's being introduced to us for the first time. Ezra is a faithful Jew. He's a faithful follower of God. And what made him a faithful follower of God is he studied diligently the ways of God, the Word of God. And so you'll see that through Ezra 7, that Ezra was faithful. And consequently, because he was was faithful to God through his Word, God fortified his journey. Ezra's leading some people back. It's a four-month journey. And God fortifies his journey because he was faithful to follow his word. And that's a lesson for us. We are on a journey with the Lord. We're on a journey. If we follow the Lord, if we're a disciple of his, we're on a journey. And too many of us are doing that journey in a non-fortified way. And we're wondering, why is this so hard? And why is this so complex? And why am I so wiped out? We're not in his word. If we're faithful to be in his word, like Ezra was, he will fortify the journey that all of us are on. Can I get an amen? 
And so we're walking through this journey powerlessly, not fortified, because we're not in God's Word. It's that important. And you'll see that in Ezra 7. And then at the end of Ezra 7, it declares, because of God's Word, all of us will ultimately be judged to whether we obey or don't obey His Word. And so, not only is our journey fortified, but our judgment is secure. Our final judgment is secure because we are people that are faithful to follow our Lord. Oh, I just love it. So, let's read Ezra 7. Let's read Ezra 7. Of course, I lost my place. I had a little cheater marker. There we go. Ezra 7. Starting in verse 1. Now, after let's go ahead and put up the um, Persian kings, right? So, do you remember where we left off in chapter 6? Who was the king in chapter 6? Darius the first, because the temple was finished in, in 515 B.C. And so now we're going to skip Xerxes or Ahasuerus. That's where Esther takes place. So we're not going to get to Xerxes or Ahasuerus in the book of Ezra. We'll get to that when we get to the book of Esther, because that's where Esther takes place is during the king Xerxes. But now we're in Artaxerxes. Okay? Now, after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra. Then it gives his lineage, which I won't get into. Verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylon. Right? So here's the faithful Jew, right? And he was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? Which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all he requested. Here's his fortified journey. King granted him all he requested. Why? Because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. And some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests and the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and temple servants, they went up as well. And so he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, did Ezra, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first of the month, he began to go up from Babylon and he got there in the first of the fifth month, which is about four months later. And he came to Jerusalem. Why? Because the good hand of his God was upon him. And then verse 10, again, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach it. Now this is the copy of the decree which Artaxerxes gave to Ezra, the scribe, learned in the words of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes to Israel. Again, we see a faithful Jew to the Word of God. And so Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, the faithful Jew, perfect peace. And now, I have issued a decree, says the king, that any of the people and their priests and Levites who are willing to go, they may go with you, Ezra. For as much as you are sent by the king and his counselors to inquire concerning your people and your land according to the law of your God which is in your hand, the law of your God which is in your hand. That describes Ezra constantly holding on to the word of God because he's diligent to keep and he set his heart to it. Verse 15. And then you can bring, right, he's fortifying his journey to bring silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem with all the silver and gold which you find in the whole province of Babylon, along with the free will offering of the people and the priests who offered willingly for the house of their God which is in Jerusalem. Again, a fortified journey. With this money, therefore, you shall buy bulls and rams and lambs and grain offerings and drink offerings and offer them to your God in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and to your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold 
you may do according to the will of your God. There's leftover provision. Shouldn't it be that way with our God when we tap into His Word that He provides us for our journey, right? And there's leftover. Where did I leave off? Where? Okay, yes. I'll just start at 18. I have no idea. I don't remember. Whatever seems good, brothers, do with the rest. Yeah, that's where I left off. The silver and gold you may do according to the will of God. And the utensils which are given to you for the service of the house of your God deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. And the rest of the needs which you may have occasion to provide, provide for it from the royal treasury. Oh man, that's so cool. I, even I, the king, I issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the provinces beyond the river that whatever Ezra the scribe of the law of the God of heaven may require, it shall be done diligently. A fortified journey. Verse 23, whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be done with zeal for the house of the God of heaven so that there will not be wrath against the kingdom of the king and his sons. And we also inform you that it is not allowed to impose any tax or tribute or toll on any of the priests, Levites, singers, doorkeepers, nephilim, or servants of this house of God. You, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God, which is in your hand, a faithful Jew, appoint, here's the judgment, right? Verses 25 and 26. According to the word of God, Appoint magistrates and judges that they may judge all the people who are in the province beyond the river, God's people, even all those who know your laws. And you may teach anyone who is not aware of those laws, who who is ignorant of them. And here's the kicker. Why? Because whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed upon him strictly, whether for death or banishment or confiscation of goods or for imprisonment. And so you see right there that Those who know God's law will be judged by it. And those who don't, we need to make sure they hear it because they will ultimately be judged by God's law as well. And so we have a huge responsibility, church. Verse 27. Blessed. What a great way to close this chapter. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to bring glory, to adorn, to bring glory to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And the Lord has extended loving kindness to Ezra, to me, before the king and his counselors, and before his mighty princes. And thus, Ezra says, I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord my God upon me, and I gathered leading men to go with me. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful chapter? And you can see all through that chapter, a faithful Jew, completely committed to the Word of God, and how God is fortifying his journey with abundance. And then at the end where he talks about and judge those people according to my word. If they know him, judge him. If they don't know him, teach him. Because we will all be judged by the word of God. It's serious business. And I'm hoping by the time we're done today that you're getting both the blend of encouragement and challenge and being challenged. Right? So, let's look at the first takeaway. A faithful Jew. A faithful Jew. Look at verse 6 of chapter 7. This Ezra... After we see his lineage in verses 1 through 5, this guy, this Ezra, went up from Babylon and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. Look at verse 21. We'll see it again. Where the king says, I issue a decree that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God. And then look at verse 25. You, 
Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God, which is in your hand. He's a faithful Jew to God's Word. But the key verse is verse 10. Let's look at that one again. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach it. What a beautiful picture. So check this out. For the author of Ezra, we don't know that Ezra wrote the book of Ezra. We don't know. Many think that he did, but we don't know. So we can't say that he did. But for the author of Ezra, whoever he was or she was, it's quite sufficient for the author to merely note that Ezra's heart, Ezra's life, was all about knowing and obeying the teaching of the law of God. That's all we know about him. In chapter 7, we get introduced to a guy and the, and, and, and the writer finds it sufficient to merely note that his heart, his life, was set on the law of God. To study it, to practice it, and to teach it. That's all we know about Ezra. Interesting, huh? And so it begs the question for me, would this be enough if others were to describe you and me that way? Would that be enough? Hi, Dave. So I hear you're a guy that uh, likes to study the law and to keep the law and to teach the law. Is there anything else I need to know about you? Nope, that's pretty much me. Would that be okay with you? It should be. We like to say that it is, but often it's not. Men are really guilty of this. When men meet each other, what do you think the first thing men ask each other? What do you do for work? Right? Like we're just, right? Right? Like, hey, what do you do? Like, and I get it. I'm not, I'm not trying to demean anybody's work, right? But that's not who we are. Our work is not necessarily who we are, right? So what if somebody said to you, hey, Alvin, what do you do for work? And you say, oh, I am a man who has set his heart to study the law of God and to practice it and to teach it. It'd be like, all right, Alvin, just saying hi. Would we, would we proudly respond that way if we became people like Ezra? I, I, I think we should. Why not? I love that. Would it be enough of others? The writer described Ezra that way. God saw to it that Ezra is described just that way, merely as somebody who set his heart to study God's law, to practice it, and to teach it to others. So, what have you, or what have I, set our hearts to, if not the law of God? What have you and I set our hearts to, if not to study and practice God's Word. How firmly, how firmly have we set our hearts to study and practice God's Word? Be honest with God about that. It's important. We said earlier, when God speaks, it's probably important. Well then, have we set our hearts to diligently study and practice His Word, if it is indeed important? Because I believe, if you're like me, that many of us have had things that either currently or have in the past stolen our hearts. That we've set our hearts to other things besides the Word of God. It's not just me, right? It's some of you too, right? Okay. What has stolen our hearts? I'm sure we can give quite a bit of instruction on those other things that have captured our hearts, whether it's sports or, or hobbies that you have, and we can talk about those at length because we've set our hearts on other things beside the Word of God. Let's discuss the hand of God. Did you see that three times in Ezra 7 where it said that the hand of the Lord was upon Ezra? Check this out. 
Ezra 7, Ezra 7 shows us, listen, that the faithful hand of God is upon those who are faithful to His Word. The faithful hand of God is upon those who are faithful to His Word. God's faithful hand is upon those who are faithful to His Word. Look at verse 6. This Ezra went up to Babylon, and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. And the king granted him all he requested, because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Look at verses 9 and 10. Because the good hand of his God, this is the end of 9, because the good hand of his God was upon him, for Ezra, right, you just continue, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. And look at verse 28. The Lord has extended loving kindness to me, Ezra writes, before the king and his counselors and before all the princes. And I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord my God upon me. The faithful hand of God is upon those who are faithful to His Word. The faithful hand of God is upon those who are faithful to His Word. Why do we know that? Well, Isaiah 55:11 is another reminder. Because God's Word never comes back void. God's Word never comes back void. That's what Isaiah 55:11 says. So my word, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. How could his hand not be upon those who are faithful to his word when his word is faithful at all times? It's powerful. Let's close this uh, part with verse 23. The first part of verse 23. The king writes this. This is part of the king's decree. A pagan king writes this. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be done with zeal for God's people. Wow! A pagan king says that to us. Dave, whatever God's commanding you, you do it with zeal. And you're like, dude, you don't even know my God. He knew something about him. We don't even talk like that. We say that what God says is important. And yet we don't even say, then let what God says for us to do be done with zeal for the house of God. Should we not be able to do that and encourage one another that way? Do we do with zeal the things that God has commanded us to do? I hope so. So what's interesting is how can I do the commands of God with zeal if I don't know the commands of God? Right? And so how well? Are we like, are we like Ezra? Have we set our hearts to diligently study the law of the Lord? How well do we know the commands of God? Or, or perhaps we don't even recognize them as commands because we're not familiar with God's Word. And so they become uh, uh, the great suggestions of God. Let me open up to the great suggestions of God as found in the book of Ezra. We treat them that way. And we love to tap into God's grace. Well, God will be gracious and God will be merciful. And He is. He is gracious and merciful, for sure. But He's also just. He's also just. Because of the king's favor, Artaxerxes' favor, Ezra was promised that he could have whatever he wanted. (laughs) And without thought for self, he advanced the cause of the Lord. And I imagine, listen to this, I imagine that a heart set firmly on the Word of God and a heart that's obedient to the Word of God and a heart that has the ability to teach the Word of God would lead us to advance His purposes and not our own. That's what happens when we fully set our hearts to 
know His Word and to be obedient to His Word and have the ability to teach His Word, then our heart gets focused on advancing His purposes and not our own. Hey, look, we're sinful, we're fallen, we're going to have our own purposes. And so God's Word helps us correct that so that we do His purposes. Amen? And so I wonder, I wonder if when we're not getting the sense of the Lord's hand upon us, do you guys ever have moments like that where you just wonder, God, is your hand hand really upon me? And so I wonder at times, not all times, but I wonder at times when we're not getting the sense of the Lord's hand upon us that we simply have not set our heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it. And maybe that's why His hand is not upon us. He's like, you you haven't set your heart firmly upon my word. You haven't set your heart to firmly follow and practice my word. I don't know that my hand could be upon you for favor when you're not being faithful to my word. You follow that? See, this is what happens. We get to the place where we haven't fully abandoned our desires. We haven't fully abandoned our stubborn wants and needs. And we want to advance our purposes and not the purposes of the Almighty. Like Ezra, we too must be prepared to be used by the Lord. And being prepared meant devotion and obedience to God's Word. Second takeaway, this fortified journey, which we, again, we saw as we read through Ezra 7. Let me put up the definition. I pulled this out of just Webster's Dictionary. To fortify means to strengthen and secure to give courage or endurance to, to add mental or moral strength to. We do this journey when we're not immersed in God's Word, when we don't set our hearts to God's Word, then we're not fortified in our journey. We're not strengthened. We don't feel secure. We don't have courage. We barely have endurance to keep going on and we give up. And God wants to fortify our journey, but it happens when we're faithful to His Word. It's just a concern of mine, and it has been for a long time. And I talk to other pastors, and it's a concern of theirs too. And, and, and hear me when I say this, that one of the concerns that many pastors have is, is what we call the biblical illiteracy of the church. It's so important for the church to be fortified with God's Word. Because their journey's hard. And, that, and His Word, faithful is to His Word. In studying His Word, and setting our hearts to His Word, what could be more important than that. And it's a tall order. I understand that. Look at the fortification that happens. Look at verse 6 to kind of drive home this takeaway about a fortified journey. It says the Lord, uh, and the king, at the end of verse 6, it says, the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him because he, as the first part of 6 says, he was a scribe skilled in the law. Verse 13 where the king says, I've issued a decree that any of the people of Israel may go back to Jerusalem. In verse 15, they can bring the silver and the gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to bring back to Jerusalem. Look at 19, 20, and 21. They can bring back the utensils that were in Babylon back to Jerusalem. And verse 20 says, the rest of the needs that you may have occasion to provide, provide for it from the royal treasury. And then it says at the end of 21, whatever is required of you, it shall be done diligently for Ezra. Whatever you need. Just this fortified journey. God abundantly providing Ezra 
because Ezra was faithful to follow Jesus, or to follow God's Word, to follow the Word of God, the, the Law of Moses. It's just such a beautiful picture in Ezra 7. Such a beautiful picture. A, a man who's faithful to God's Word, and then a God who comes alongside this person, Ezra, and fortifies his journey. It's the picture that the Lord has for all of us. And it just gives us reassurance that our judgment, our final judgment, is secure because we have walked according to His Word. And so you might expect, or you might not expect, a priest like Ezra to dare approach a mighty king. Why would this priest dare approach a mighty king? And so we might not think that. And then he asks for permission to to go back and to take a bunch of people with him. But, when we, like Ezra, when we're dialed in with the Lord, we are willing to do bold things for the Lord. Ezra was dialed in with the Lord, and therefore he was willing to be courageous and do things for the Lord. And so I wonder, do you think Ezra was shocked by the king's reply when the king says, no problem, man. What else do you need? Blank check? Who do I make it out to? You need some you know, chariots and camels? Like, like, like the dude got whatever he needed, man. Do you think Ezra was shocked that Artaxerxes gave him everything and more that he asked for? No way. Many of you are shaking your head no. No way. Why would he be shocked? He diligently studied the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This didn't surprise him. About a year ago, I can't remember, I think I was talking with Pastor Doug, I don't remember who, it doesn't matter. Um, We were talking about miracles. I'm like, does God really perform miracles? Think about that. Oh, God performed a miracle. Meaning... That's usually something God doesn't know how to do when he got lucky. Does God perform... Is this a miracle? Like, I, to me, God doesn't perform miracles. He just does what's naturally in his ability to do. It's miraculous to us because we're not God. So I don't think Ezra was surprised at all. He's like, oh, that makes total sense to me. Yeah, that's, that's the God I study. This makes sense to me. It just helps us to navigate life so differently when we are diligent to set our hearts on the things of the Lord and to practice them and to be able to teach them. Artaxerxes listed certain freedoms for their journey. He gave them permission to go. He gave them silver and gold. They were given freedom to make their own decisions. They were able to bring back the utensils for worship. They could do whatever else they needed for their temple Uh, in, in rather large quantities. The priests and the Levites were not to be taxed. Why? Does not the Maker know what is best for that which He made? Does not the Maker know what is best for that which He made? And so He knows how to fortify our journey. He knows how to fortify our journey when we prove faithful to His Word. In our last takeaway, look at verses 25 and 26. We're not going to spend a lot of time here because we've already kind of went through it. But He says, Ezra, according to the Word of God which is in your hand, judge. Appoint judges and judge all the people. Those who know your laws, judge them according. And those who are ignorant, teach them. Our judgment is final. Our judgment is final. And we're secure in it if we focus on the Word of God. We have nothing to worry about, right? Nothing. In closing, the purpose and the privileges granted by the King were for God's glory. All of these things that happen are for God's glory. So ultimately, the character, the main character of Ezra is always God, right? In any book. And the purposes and privileges granted by the king were for God's glory. Look at verse 27. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart 
to adorn, which means to bring glory to the house of the Lord. Ezra's life shows us that when we set our hearts to study the Word of God and to practice it, then our lives become all about God's glory and not ourselves. Right? That's what his life shows us. When we set our hearts to study and practice and have the ability to teach God's Word because of it, that our lives become all about God's glory and never our own. I want to close with this. Listen. Ezra's careful, diligent study of the Word of God, listen, it increased his faith, it helped him to understand God's plans, and he wanted to be part of those plans. So I'm going to give you some four steps. Careful study. Step one. Careful study. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago here from church. You can read God's Word, you can meditate on God's Word, and then you can study God's Word. We need to do all three. Some of us read, some of us meditate. But we need to read, meditate, and study. Those are three different disciplines. Step one, careful study. We can't stop there. Sometimes we do a careful study and that's it. Step two, it increases our faith. As we do careful study, like Ezra, it increases our faith. We get to know how God works and and how He works through His people and how faithful He is in, in the years in which He makes things happen. So careful study increases our faith and then it increases our understanding, right? Careful study increased faith and an increased understanding of who God is and how He works. And the fourth thing is an increased participation because that's what it said about Ezra. He wanted to be part of those plans. Careful study, increase our faith, increase our understanding of who God is and how He works so that it will increase our participation. Many of us need to get to step two. Some of us need to get to step three. But ultimately, we all need to get to step four. Right? We need to carefully study His Word so that it increases our faith, so that it increases our understanding of who God is and what He's doing and what He's called us to so that it will increase our participation. That's just the way it is. And we need to increase our participation because God's not done. If we're still here, it's because He's not done. And so we need to ramp up our participation so God can be done. So the church can do what the church is called to do, which is participate in the God that we understand, the God that increases our faith. It's a huge huge responsibility to be the church. And so, Pastor Doug and Kelly gave an opportunity to increase your participation. I would encourage you to take that very seriously. Alright, I'm going to invite the worship team up. As they're uh, working their way up here, I'm going to uh, close this in prayer, and then when they're done with our worship song, our prayer team will be available to um, if you need any kind of prayer after the service, they'll be over here to my left. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so very, very much for the character of Ezra and the lessons we get to learn from his life. Thank you, Lord, that you make a big deal about this simple man who diligently set his heart to study your word and to practice it and to teach it. And Lord, may that be enough for us. Lord, that we would set our hearts, we'd increase our faith, we would increase our understanding and that we would increase our participation. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen.